Welcome to episode, wait for it, wait for it, six of the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer is Kwaku Ajimong, a.k.a. Kwaku On Air, a.k.a. Chris Bottle Sender, slash Check Picker Upper, a.k.a. the boy who I live vicariously through on Instagram. On his profile, which is at Kwaku On Air, the man has an entire highlight dedicated to clubbing, and it is pragmatically labeled clubbing. That's a real commitment to the game. Now let me tell you, as an old man and deep introvert, the stories contained within said highlight give me mad anxiety. But as a retired club rat, they also make me somewhat nostalgic. Speaking of the club scene, our guest today is a pioneer of Toronto's diverse entertainment landscape. He's someone who is actively extending the runway of what's possible for you and I. He's who I needed when I was younger and who I think I'm going to become in another 10 years. Our guest is none other than Satish Bala. Satish is a serial entrepreneur and marketing maven with over 20 years in the game and several successful companies under his belt. Graduating with a degree in computer science in the late 90s, at the cusp of the internet as we know it today, Satish has a refined understanding of how to succeed online and offline. He's an investor in early stage companies and a mentor at Ryerson's Science Discovery Zone. 13 years ago, Satish wanted to help Canada's South Asian community to break down stereotypes, cultural bias, and gender inequalities that held back many young people. That inspired him to create Daisy Fest, a wildly successful cultural celebration. Since its inception, Daisy Fest has expanded from Toronto to Montreal, Ottawa, and Vancouver. My buddy Justin Venturo, the last real JV left in Toronto now that we lost Jonas Valanciunas to Memphis, beautifully lined up today's episode. And I asked him to join me as a co-host. In our conversation with Satish, we talked about growing up in Scarborough, culture clash, and facing obstacles head-on. We also talked about morning routines, sleep rituals, and hip-hop. It was a journey of a discussion, and I left, like Justin, very inspired. I'm so excited for you all to listen to this. Let's get to it. Paradigm shift, man. Big ball of brands. Ish bala. B-ball fitness. Welcome, brother. Thank Thank you so much for being on the cast. I'm excited, man. It's going to be awesome. And we have with us as well, JV, Justin Ventura. Speaking to the mic, right? Yes, yes. There we go. Please speak in the mic. We lost a big man to Memphis, Tennessee recently. We lost another JV, but we kept you, bro. So I think all in all, it was a good series of trades that took place. That's right. Satish Bala, man, right off the bat, we have a gift for you. Okay. But you're going to have to choose which gift you're going to get and in which order. So I've made this very easy for you. I've got two pencils over here. Okay. On each pencil is the name of a city. Okay. You pick and we'll give you a gift accordingly. I go with the blue. What does it say? Scarborough. It says Scarborough. <laughs> okay. See? Hometown. So courtesy of our friends at uh, the Spacing Store, here is the first gift for you. It is a bunch of Scarborough street signs. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea Little how buttons. I am. Bro, I want you to open this up. And then the activity I have for you is put together the two street signs that are closest to where you grew up in Scarborough. Yes. Man, so I landed in Scarborough in 1989. <laughs> I will never leave. I am repping Scarborough for life. I actually have a t-shirt I made for Daisy Press last year. It says Scarborough Tings. Scarborough Tings. <laughs> there we go. And, and only the people from Scarborough got the joke of on course. stage. Well, this also happens to be episode six. <laughs> that was terrible. Maybe I spent about two seconds. Yeah, that was that was awful. Hopefully, Quagga can fix that in post, right? Lawrence and Midland, baby. Lawrence and Midland. Okay. Lawrence and Midland. Yes. <laughs> there you go. What <laughs> was life like? Started, tell 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 us about the early days. So you transitioned from Singapore wow. to living very close to Lawrence and Midland. Yes. This is crazy, man. It's like <laughs> and it's all, all yours, sorts, brother. All sorts of memories coming up. Um, yeah. So we left Singapore when I was fourteen. Thank God, the greatest decision my parents ever made was to take me to, to this country. Uh, and we landed in Scarborough, 
And I was like, what is this place? And all the brochures that you get when you're not in Canada make Scarborough looks amazing. It was like the, the city of tomorrow. Right? And the pictures are awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure I saw pictures of like downtown, but in Scarborough's section of the brochure. So we're like, yeah, this is cool. And I've never seen suburbia before. I come from Singapore. It's all buildings. Yep. We live vertical, not horizontal. So we got this house. There's a basement. There's like no neighbors around. I'm on this cold Space, street. Yeah. Oh, I was like the snow and the driveway. We fell all the time. How's the snow? That's it was the... horrible. <laughs> so first, and we came in January. So my dad, being an engineer, was like, "Yeah, you guys should shovel the snow." And my mom, being not an engineer from a little village, poured hot water everywhere. <laughs> oh man! At like shout seven a.m. after my dad left, and then <laughs> turned straight to ice. Spill at eight, <laughs> brother, eight or four, slipping <laughs> and sliding it was all crazy, over the place, man. man. Uh, but for me, it was. It was the most amazing thing possible because all of a sudden I came from a place where it was full of just Asians because we're Singapore and it's mm-hmm. all Chinese folks right. and, and Tamil-speaking South Indians are a super minority, right? And I come here and all of a sudden I'm part of this really cool tapestry of people and I realized more of me, more cultural than me that I didn't understand what Indian meant. And for me it was incredible because all of a sudden I had a chance to like rethink who I was because I was given a certain image and I didn't like it. I didn't know I had a choice to change it. On our mutual friend, Ricardo McRae's Framing Podcast, shout out to Ricardo. I wish I saw him in Halifax when I was recently there. But you talked about suppressing your identity when you came over from Singapore because you were taught one way of being, one way of thinking, one way of living there. And when you came to Scarborough, when you came to the GTA, you felt a culture clash that made you retreat into yourself. What were those days like and how were you feeling when when you couldn't fully express yourself the way that you are now? Well, it's frustrating because I've always been uh, living in a in a um, inside myself and and hidden because I never felt like I could be who who I really wanted to be because every time I had a moment where I was me, I was smacked like literally right like we're talking about growing up in a very you know Indian household. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the eldest of three and my dad's a a strict engineer, and he had visions of what his first son oh, yeah. was supposed to be because I realized it later in life after he passed away that it wasn't his fault, but he developed that vision from the way he grew up. But he didn't know how to change or be flexible because I was his way out. Cause you got that corporal punishment, baby. Right, because that's all they knew, right? That's <laughs> that all backhand that's all adjustment. And for me, it was like, well, why am I getting hit every time yeah. I do something that feels natural? <laughs> yeah. And every time I do something that doesn't feel natural, it doesn't go right. Like, I'm not smart. I'm not this. I'm not this. But if I am being athletic or charismatic or, or funny guy or whatever, I got a smack. So then you tend to just... Suppress it because you're eight, you're seven, you're six, you're three. You don't know what to do. So you just sort of go, okay, maybe they're right. This is the devil in me. I can't (laughs) let it out. And if I do, I'm going to have a bad life because everything was painted in such dramatic ways. Like if you're like this, you're going to fail. If you're like this, you're going to be broke. If you're like, so then you're like, okay, I don't know any better. You just blindly follow it. eh? Right? You just blindly follow it. And then I come here and I go, wait a second. These kids are getting C's but they're playing basketball and they're celebrated and they're given freedom to to explore and nobody's like hating on them. I don't get it. And then if I go over to their homes, the dads are not punishing them. People are eating together. Yeah. <laughs> they get Christmas gifts. What the hell is going on? Even like kings out here. Yeah, so for me, Scarborough was the very first uh, opportunity to question 
my belief system. Mm. And I wonder how much of that is the product of our parents being on the defensive. So when they came over, like think about the act of uprooting your entire life, leaving your career, leaving your networks, and then moving to a brand new place. And in the case of my parents, I'm not sure about you guys, but my parents were destitute. Like my father was piss poor, slumdog millionaire jumping into a pile of shit. Like he watched that movie and he's like, this is real life. Yeah. Like, I lived this. And so he had uh, what I've learned now is called a scarcity mindset. So he was all about you're going to lose things. You're, if you're not careful, things are going to disappear. We were operating like the yeah. bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. And so I think that mm-hmm. kind of like how you described right now affected my ability to be confident. I'm still not a naturally confident mm-hmm. person. I think that came from living in a household and growing up where I was taught like, hey, keep your head down, work hard, yeah. don't ask questions, just do what you're told and things will happen for you. But that's yeah, yeah. It's a totally different reality now. And we don't get that hindsight until much later, right? People always say, you know, experience is a great thing, but you got to sort of get pain to get experience. Mm-hmm. And we never appreciate the pain as it happens, right? It's only good later in life. When you're experiencing it in the middle of, you know, whatever it is at 8, 10, 12, 15, it's just shit you're going through. There you, you go. Know? And it's only later in life when I realized, yeah, my dad was really passionate uh, about making me a smart kid because his way out of his poverty was education. So for him, if my kids are super smart and they're doctors or engineers or accountants, I've done my job because that's yeah. the only way you've yeah. seen it. That right? South Asian trinity, man, that holy trinity of right. careers or immigrant trinity yeah, for that you know, Doctor, like, lawyer, engineer. Didn't actually know another way out. Because that was what's popular, right? Like you knew you're guaranteed a job. Yeah. You looked know? like a noble profession because yeah. possibly the way you dressed or the perception of how much money you were making. Exactly. But very little understanding of the inner workings exactly. that it took to become that thing. I have a question because I come from a little bit of different angle where my grandparents actually came from like very poor villages in Italy. Um, and then my mom kind of faced what you guys did. But being a second generation, I was able to kind of see the shift in mindsets. Uh, did your parents kind of, as you developed and started seeing success from what was outside of their value hierarchies, did you find it was like difficult for them to evolve their mindset along with your successes or they were very my mine was very stubborn mm-hmm. like you know cuz we disconnected once i figured out i could speak up mm-hmm. right yeah. cuz you know i i found my own voice and then i also found confidence that what's my worst case you're going to kick me out and i'll survive because i've survived for 15 years and i'll figure it out and i think once they saw the confidence they can't do anything more and the results right well results are subjective right fair so, you know, uh, like I did AC Fest for 12 years and the first three years he never showed up. But on the fourth year, he finally was like, oh, this is something interesting. Oh, you're successful now. You know, so, so you know, I never I carried that weight with me for a long time. I want to be successful for their sake. And then I realized I'm only hurting myself because that's a fire that's consuming me and it's not sharing to the world. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, looking back on my history uh, would I change anything? No, because all of those scars make me who I am, and I like who I am, so it's cool. In your most recent blog post, you wrote, imagine if Jay listened to his uncle and didn't sell a million records. Uh, who would Satish Bala be if he listened to his father's advice and became an engineer? Ooh, uh, ooh. I would be Satish Bala Krishnan <laughs> in Chennai. In Chennai. Uh, with a traditional wife and a bunch of kids, like bunch, like five, seven little Nine. village, man. Yeah, like, well, I eat rice and curry every day. I'll be back home by 7, watch ZTV. There you go, bro. Like, yeah, that's... Because I went and saw Just that, like, I know what it looks like. You know, yeah. when I went back to India after a really long time, I was like, whoa, this is 1975, frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And they, they like it. They're cool, yeah, you know? more power to them, man. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's something I think about every now and then. I'm like, 
Now, what if we didn't leave India? What if we didn't leave Singapore? What if we didn't land in Scarborough? We didn't land in Calgary. I mean, right. we had a 50-50 chance, man. It was Australia or Canada, and there was just enough skinhead issues in Australia <laughs> oh. in the 90s. We're like, let's just go to Canada. But I could have been in Australia. Like, you know? Easily. It's, it's, so there's so many things that I think uh, are guiding this path that I'm on. So, you know, once that mindset clicked in, I don't think anything for granted. You know, I appreciate every individual I meet. Um, right. And then, you know, makes me who I am. That's so interesting that that exact choice, that choice between Canada and Australia was the exact same yeah. choice that my father and my mother were facing about when to take or where to take rather this, uh, their, their children and their family. And they were following the diaspora. But I remember the similar dialogue happening at the time that Australia was a very racist yeah. place and not hospitable for people that identified as South Asian, which brings me to the next gift, because uh, this has a lot to do with an endeavor that you created 13 years ago. Let's uh let's pretend like there's more than one pencil over here, but yes. let's go ahead and pick this last hey, pencil. Hey, this is my favorite pencil. Toronto. What city? Toronto. I have for you now, again, courtesy of our friends from the Spacing Store, a coaster with an iconic sign on it. Okay, man. Flip it over and tell me what it says. Dundas, my favorite stop. Why is it your favorite stop, Mr. Ooh, Bala? Man, so much, bro. Like Ryerson, Eaton Center, meeting my wife. Young Dundas Square, where, you know, I run Daisy Fest now for 13 years. Like, it's crazy. It is. If I can get another tattoo, Dundas will be it. Man. Dundas would be it. Yeah. Why did you pick the Young and Dundas Square as the you know, venue we, for Daisy yeah, Fest? So, 13 years strong now. Uh, so Daisy Fest started because we had a whole bunch of young artists, and I was DJing by then, that were all making urban music with a, with a flavor of South Asian uh, impact to it. But... Uh, we were too brown for mainstream because they're like, we can't say your names on radio. So Flo and all these guys are like, this is cool, but I, I can't. So no, uh, it's too ethnic for us. And then brown people were like, this is not Bollywood. This is, you know, this is urban music. It's on black. We're not going to pitch. So I'm like, where, where do we go? So we're like, okay, May is South Asian Heritage Month, which nobody really knew. I didn't even know that until right? now. Wow. Uh, the backstory was somebody wanted Asian Heritage Month, and then some brown dude was like, oh, we should have South Asian Heritage Month. They both submitted a bill, and our government being disorganized as it is approved both bills, and then they realized they can't do both. So then Ontario has South Asian Heritage Month and Asian Heritage Month, and the rest of the country is just Asian Heritage Month. So we're like, this is a great moment to give them an FU sign. What if we did a big <laughs> urban party as part of South Asian Heritage Month with nothing really to do with the heritage. Let's look at the branding too. So when you look at our logo, Lacey Fest, the older version, we just launched a new one today, uh, has got that Bollywood type and stuff. Right. Because we wanted people to think about culture differently. Yeah. It's got the little fl fire flare exactly, in there. Exactly, right? You know? So you expect coming to a show at Young Dundas Square, right. expecting a Bollywood-inspired show, and then we're like, no, this is a new culture. We got skinny jeans. We got grills, we got neck tattoos, yeah, bro. we got hip-hop, R&B, reggae, pop, rock. It's and so funny because at this time, I remember the first Daisy Fest I ever went to was either 2007, 2008, or 2009, one of those years. And that's one of the years that you brought out Raga. I think you brought 2008. Perfect. So I got it right, right yeah. dead smack in the middle. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know who this Raghav guy was until I think I was dating this girl at the time. She put me on to Raghav. I saw this guy. I'm like, oh, this is what people are into. Yeah. Like, I'm dressing wrong. I'm I don't have the I don't have the sauce, so to speak. 
And um, I remember my buddies at the time, we had this little production company, more of a fun thing that we did called No Budget Productions, NBP. And uh, I decided that, hey, I wanted to do a pilot, a little test video of Raghav. So I think the song was Angel Eyes or something. Yeah, it was a big track. Dressed up like Raghav, put a little dinky camera in my room (laughs) and sang. And uh, man, that footage, I need uh, Azim or Amir, if you're listening to this, please delete that footage, man. (laughs) Maybe I might run for politics one day. That's going to be the video that undoes everything, man. But I remember feeling exactly what you described, the sense that things were changing. And that now as a young person, as a young South Asian, as as somebody identified as Desi, I now felt like I was being represented and I could see a new expression yeah, yeah. that I hadn't previously seen. And now here you are 13 years strong. What has changed? What's different about year 13? I think from our, year one? our message is is evergreen, right? Like, you know, we still stand for that young person who feels like they can't be themselves, right? And for me, in many ways, ACFS is a large megaphone for my life. Like, you started earlier saying, you know, how did you feel to, to sort of move? If I could grab a big, huge mic and, like, scream into it saying, hey, look at me for who I am, I would have done it. But for me, the ACFS was a way to do that, right? Uh, and so the message is still the same. We still support a, a, a version of our culture mm-hmm. that still doesn't reflect... Uh, the common sort of belief system. They still look at, you know, brown kids that are into, you know, untraditional stuff as misfits and, yeah. and the black sheep, which, you know, made sense 10 years ago. Sure, man. But mm-hmm. not anymore, right? And so for us, you know, how do we continue to hone this message in? And then, you know, we're year 13, which means I'm now talking to young musicians that met us when they were 12. Wow. Or 13 or 14. That's and wild. now coming out with music and they're 24, 25. Jeez. And they're telling us, like, my first Daisy Fest was 12 years ago, bro. And I was like, one day I'm going to get on stage. And now I'm on stage. This is so dope. Yeah. The fact that we are now somebody's hope, oh, man. it's a huge opportunity for us, right? Because this young person at 12 said, one day I'm going to get on the stage without even understanding what it takes to put the stage on. We could have yeah. been gone two years later. And so for us, uh, you know, when we dig into, like, why exactly did we do it? Because we're doing it for the right reason. I'll always fight for sponsorship, even if I have you know no energy left. I will beg, plead, invest, do whatever it takes because the platform is more important than the effort we put in to make it happen. Damn, man. Thank you for doing this. I mean, like I, it's, it's now really sinking in just how pivotal, pivotal Daisy Fest was for me growing up, for my family, for my friends, and to Thank see that we had that, this, this celebration that, that, that acknowledged uh, who we were and what we brought to the city, what we brought to the country, man. I got to ask a really awkward question of, of JV over here, man. Yes, sir. I, I'm wondering now out loud, right? Like, I'm looking at this room. It's a very diverse What's his room. Indian name? Sorry, What's be, your, what is your Indian name, by the way? My Indian name? Oh, what? we came up with one at your event, <laughs> didn't we? I would not say it because this might be... Yeah, maybe. Actually, to be fair, most of my friends growing up were actually a Sikh. I grew up in uh, Woodbridge, so uh, I do. I can't quite relate to your guys' uh, personal experiences, but I can relate through friends' experiences. Well, well, that's the question I want to ask, right? Because this is really interesting that now I'm seeing myself very represented over here. Kwaku are producers from Ghana. Are you seeing yourself represented, Kwaku, like in, in mainstream media right now? Yeah? Oh, <laughs> you just gave me a thumbs up <laughs> thumbs over there. Up. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, it's all good. Yeah. Get, get on there, man. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of representation for, I guess, West African young people. Right. Um, in Toronto, through the Afrobeats, a lot of different club promoters, different events. I mean, that's the gift when it comes to being from Toronto. Yeah. Because you have a lot of people of 
minority backgrounds, Im- immigrant backgrounds who have made a name for themselves, started a business, and now they're promoting cultural events. Just and that's a form of giving back. So yes, that's very interesting, right? And then so Satish, like you, you're just you, a small to add on to yeah, that. Please, by I all means. Get, uh, I think it was Daisy Fest year three, and I was still DJing and making music. And um, a good a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Akilu, he's African, and he was like, "Do you know that a lot of Africans love Bollywood music?" Really? And I was like, "He's like, yo, Shah Rukh Khan's got one of the biggest bases in Africa." And I'm like, "No way!" So then he started naming all these in, you know Indian actors, and I didn't even know them because. I'm not from the culture, yeah. even though I represent a version of us. And I was like, how do you know all these people? And then he hooked me up with Eritrean music. And man, I started DJing some like Bollywood Eritrean remixes. <laughs> Crazy, man. Like, it just gets you bopping. It's, it's so. And it, could, it could only happen here in Toronto, yeah. man. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That uh, it's just the whole unsiloing of different cultures too as much as you were saying before it allows people within their own culture to grow it breaks down the walls between other cultures so for someone like me to embrace other cultures and even to get a doorway in is no longer um an all-access pass for your own culture right like i'm able to explore different cultures and grow with them learn with them and not necessarily have to stick to just just because i'm a label i have to stick with my label you know well, this is a slightly weird question. Like, I wanted to ask you, Justin. Like, this might seem like a really, really like simple, almost obvious question, but do you, do you see yourself as white? That's an interesting question. I mean, uh, I could give yeah, the Justin. Gener- <laughs> I could give the generic answer that I don't see color, but I will dive into more details. Sorry. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I am Canadian. At the end of the day, I was born here. My parents were born here, and. Uh, like you have Italian heritage, right? I do have Italian, Italian heritage, yeah. Uh, Cal- Calabria, everyone, uh, Cosenza, for anyone else who has the bloodline lineage, at least like me. <sighs> like when you hear a bunch of guys like yeah, us yeah, like yeah. talking about representation and seeing ourselves represented and celebrating our culture, like when you hear that, like it, is is that a, a, like a relatable conversation? Are you able to identify with any part of that? Because I, I, I would imagine based on sort of what we're seeing right now in the zeitgeist and, and, yeah. and the conversation of the day, and you know, I spend a lot of time reading a lot of forums and I spend a lot of time uh, you know, uh, talking to people who don't look like me, people who make up the homogenous culture, mostly yeah. just straight white people, right? Yeah. Understanding the way that they think and to them, from what I've learned in my very short time of exploring this is that it's invisible. Like they don't actually see the things that we see. You don't actually need a Desi Fest because every celebration that isn't labeled Desi something yeah. or ethnic, insert whatever, something is a celebration is of you. Gener- yeah, it's I see what you mean. So you would almost have to add like a, a prefix to, for it to be another culture besides a quote unquote white culture. Yeah. But no, I think I came from a unique situation where growing up I had like, I had friends ranging from every ethnic background, every, um, which is called economic background. Friends group very poor. Friends group very rich. I um, so for me, I come from a mixing, a traditional Toronto mixing pot. So I never really saw it, and I I grew up in a, my household is not like it was very Italian. Again, my parents were born here, so but I never really had that attachment to my own culture. What I did love to do is I loved exploring other cultures. I would love going over to uh, my Indian friends' houses or like uh, my Jamaican friends' houses and just kind of seeing how they, like I would learn so much from them and you can kind of like tie in together and learn a lot from them and make your own lessons, you know? And, I wonder, uh, I mean, this is a cliche Indian joke, but I wonder how many of them brought, brought them home so they get they don't get beats. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, for Here's sure, my man. white friend, don't hit me don't now. Don't hit me, man, just wait <laughs> until he's done. Hit me later <laughs> when he goes home. <laughs> 
Man, you recently posted, Satish, on, on Instagram. You posted about Gully Boy. Yeah. What do you think about it? Oh, man, I haven't seen the movie yet. But, you know, what's fascinating is I've been following the hip-hop movement yeah. in India, right? Massive. Uh, because it's not unifying. Yeah. You know, it's not just from the slums anymore, but, like, corporate India is embracing it. And, and again, you know, we, we're very proud of the fact that we've got a platform where artists feel like, you know, they want to be part of North America. There was a time where... You know, the kind of work we were doing it was only big in India, UK. Right. Right? So if we weren't on their stages, we're kind of nobody. Yeah, we weren't legit. But now we yeah. get artists reaching out because North America is the next big market. So when we get somebody like a Divine coming to Toronto to perform at Daisy Fest. Huge. And the next summer, Gully Boys blows up. We get a piece of that. You know what I mean? As, Absolutely. As, and so, you know, the, I always look at, like, what's the impact we leave? Because the show is a show. It's 12 hours of music, but I guarantee you there's a bunch of people in the audience that are pursuing a career like Divine, lost without a beacon. Yeah. Whether it is successful or not, we at least told them, hey, there's a stage. Get good enough to be on stage because the discipline that will take you on stage is the same discipline that's going to move you into the next level. But now you've got something to work towards. You're not just a guy in a studio making beats. Unattainable goal. Mm-hmm. It's funny because... Uh, I did spend a lot of time talking with both of you in a mentor-esque fashion. And one common theme that I feel like even a lot of people my age um, miss is that you have to be able to set a goal. You, you have to aim before you shoot, right? Uh, I believe you told me that one. But um, yeah, so by giving these people a goal to, uh, to set entering an unknown market per se, I guess that was an original yeah. purpose of your Desi Fest too, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what we wanted to do. And it wasn't just for the artist community, but you know, good or bad, we wanted to give the older community a, a, a point to hate or love. Mm-hmm. Like, I still get handwritten hate mails. Like, handwritten hate mails. Handwritten. Like, like old aunties Uncles and uncle will like, be taking the paper out. the culture. Ben. <laughs> And like write a note saying how I'm destroying the culture, <laughs> lick it, put a stamp what on it. What is this bullshit yo-yo honey thing? <laughs> right? Like the effort it takes to like write something down versus yeah, a tweet. Oh, that would hurt me, bro. Right? If I got a handwritten. And I was like, this is awesome because yeah, like, Send your all grandkids, the DMs, your kids, this is what they're doing, right? And so for us, it's like, you know, hate us or love us, be exposed. And if you hate us, yeah. give us, give me a chance to make you love me. If you love me, then contribute to the movement. I don't care if you're a donor, a sponsor, a parent, a kid. I want you to pick a side from day one. Hate me or love me. If you hate me, I'm going to do all I can to, like, bring you to the other side. But I need you to pick a spot. If you're indifferent, that's how we become less valuable. And I'm not going back home. I'm not planning to go to India one day or Singapore to retire. Like, this is it, right? So then... I'm fully vested in making sure everything about the culture is transparent and open. You will not be ignorant because you don't know us. You might be ignorant because you choose to hate me, but that's okay. That means that I got room to make you love mm-hmm. me. That's so powerful, man. And like, I, I truly believe that there is a grand, a meta war of attrition that's taking place yeah. between people who have felt disenfranchised, who were on the margins, people who felt like they were not accessing the world in the way that people with power had it. Mm. And uh, I know that you know we have a very diverse uh a diverse array of listeners over here, people who identify with extreme liberal values, people who extreme oh. identify with extreme conservative values. I know that all the people on the right are listening to this right now being like, Hamza's talking about power again. What's going on? But let me explain, right? Yeah. Here we are now. Last night was the Grammys. 
Black Panther, if you guys were watching the Grammys, yeah. how long did it take for there to be a predominant a movie, a superhero film that was elevated to the stature of fine art to be recognized at the Grammys? And people are upset about that. Yeah. I know this has been an ongoing conversation in this podcast. Like, hey, man, like this is this is this is a long battle that's taking place. Yeah. I bring that up because my mom recently watched Gully Boy and she said something to me that floored me. I was like, whoa, I can't believe you're saying this, mom. She's like, I watched Gully Boy and I feel like I finally understand rap. Mm. I feel like I now understand where rap comes from. Because, man, we grew up on Bollywood, right? Yeah. We know that back in the day, Bollywood was racist when it came to their depiction oh, yeah. of rap. It was an imitation yeah. of what they thought rap sounded like, what they thought rap looked like. Yeah, it was yeah. almost used for comedic effect. Yeah. And then came Rishi Rish and Juggy D and Bohemia and these initial rappers. And now here we are at a place where we're seeing rap emerge from the slums, emerge from people who have been destitute, who've been struggling to set their goal and then pursue it. And now they're creating music that's expressive in that way and is really reaching the hearts and souls of people. So I want to end this segment by, again, giving you a shout out because you don't know how many people you have impacted. You know, like you said, some people might love it, some people might hate it, but it's a war of attrition. Yep. People who are hating it now, give them a few years. If it doesn't work on them, their children, their My grandchildren. My dad was that guy. Bro. Your dad was that guy. He hated it three years and he fell in love because he saw the love, right? And so, you know, for me, it's... Coming from a good place, man. Yeah, and because... They don't understand, and that's what I've learned in in you know in trying to serve a community. There's going to be a a period where they just don't understand you, and you choose to either stop, or you just keep going until the the tide comes over. You know what I mean? And it took us six, seven years to find that connection. It took me three years to convince my dad to appreciate it. You know what I mean? And so I think. Um, Anybody who's out doing the kind of work that I'm doing, and hopefully I get to continue doing it, you gotta you gotta stick in it, man. You gotta grind it out. You know, short term wins are nothing. It's a long term game, 100%. I just want to say something before we move on. Just complimenting on Hamza's point, where he said the meta game, as uh, what you were saying before. I think you gotta risk offending people if you want to make a big change. If you're not offending people, if someone's not mad, you're not doing it right. And if some if everyone's happy, then most likely you're not gonna be happy. Like on the meta scheme of things, yeah. whether it's cultural, there's music, whether yeah, it's no, business, if you're not offending people, uh, you're not making a big enough change. Someone's gonna get mad yeah. at you. Yeah, and you probably re like identify with that as a marketer. Like you've spent most of your life in marketing, communications, branding, telling stories. The worst thing that could happen, and I think you might agree with this, is that nobody reacts. Yeah. There's no reaction whatsoever. I'd rather have everybody hate it or everybody love it. Oh, 100%. But, mm -hmm. Versus, yeah. versus. oh, it showed up, no one cares about it. That, yeah. That's that's basically the death. The, yeah, the death that, no one that, comes That to is the death. Because now a whole bunch of smart people that put thought into this idea got zero reaction. You know? You know, which is terrifying <laughs> because I'm thinking about this. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but like right now in the news, you're seeing a lot of controversy come out about really offensive fashion, yeah. like oh. the nooses and Gucci blackface oh. and all that. Part of me as a marketer, I know that it's intentional. Yeah. But it's hard for me to talk about it because I'm like, how do I say this while 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 creating a compelling reason for why this is an effective marketing strategy? Because I think I understand it. Yeah. Why this is an effective marketing strategy? Is it wrong? Is it terrible? Fuck yeah! I, I wish they never did it. It's absolutely horrible. Like like there's the the bottom rung in hell is reserved for the people that were behind <laughs> this particular yeah. marketing strategy. But it works. But yeah, the numbers don't. Lie. I hate to say it, it works, man. Yeah. It's going to embolden people who are already going to buy it to buy it more. Well, and plus, who's their base? You know, at the end of the day, like Trump taught us, right? You can still win yeah. with the wrong base. Yeah. And Ooh, the wrong base for us, the right base for him, mm -hmm. right? 
And so, you know, when you look at what Gucci did, yes, they're targeted a very specific offensive community, but maybe they don't look at them as the base. And and the people that agree with them, how did sales impact them? Racist high fashion, man. Right. And, 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 And I think that's the scary part about just news in general where we're spending more time and creativity creating stuff that creates a bad reaction yeah yeah well right. i don't know if you on snapchat like i'm, I'm i've had up to here with snapchat's advertising if you go through your your story feed it's the, the most clickbait captions ever oh, it's, yeah. it's like sex violence diy stuff for some reason that's really in and like <laughs> just like they, they target your most primitive instincts because yeah. there's so much out there they want the, the most primitive reactions because yeah. they just want that click right and they get it yeah Man, that's the scary part it, so. it sucks that it works like we're, are we that <laughs> Are we that simple-minded that these really simple tactics work? I don't know, man. What do you think? Well, I remember an old quote uh, from Socrates, and he says, you know, the best mm-hmm. way to judge humanity is how we entertain ourselves. Oh, mm-hmm. no, that's so, not good. That's <laughs> you know, every now and then that reminds me of, like, what is entertainment today for me? Yeah. And what does it say about us? Damn. You know? Six Buzz TV, man, watching oh, man. a style on them. <laughs> Bro, before this could be a whole other podcast where we explore sort of what's going on in the world right now and this polarization. I do want to have that conversation at some point, and I know that you guys will be back. This is the first of many appearances. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be doing this for a very long time, and so we'll we'll have time to talk about that. I want to bring the spotlight back on you, Satish, and talk about what it took for you to be in this game for this long because you've got longevity in the game from all the guests that we've had here you can run laps around us like your career the 20 plus years that you've spent applying yourself in multiple ventures can engulf several of our guests combined in terms of just years alone so i want to spend the next probably half an hour reverse engineering how you spend your time your energy your attention with a focus on how specifically you manage it and how you optimize it cool and uh jv man if i'm missing anything in here jump right in brother oh, yeah. me and stitch have t- gone into depth about this i know i wish <laughs> i was like a fly on the wall for some of these gym conversations <laughs> yeah <laughs> anytime man anytime well let's start with it let's start with time then walk us through your morning routine man what are the first two hours of satish bala's day typically look like okay so putting into context uh I'm not running a company right now, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, today is a little bit different because um, one of the reasons I sold the company was to focus on my own personal health and mental health and all this stuff, which we can get into another time. But my first two hours are about the kids and health. And so uh, ever since I sold the company, I've, I've, I think I've 99% of the time I'm up, breakfast with them, and take them to school. And that little bit of connection is really important for me because uh, I, I didn't do that. My daughter is 11, and for the first five, six years, I saw her maybe half an hour a day. Oh, wow. Because by the time she's up to school, I'm out the door already, or I'm sleeping because I was up till 3 a.m. working, and I'll see her for half an hour, maybe an hour. And my excuse was she's young. She's only three or four or five. She's not going to miss me. Of course they do, right? And I realized that now I have a son, five years old. So I'm like, nah, I want to make sure. So him and him and I have a little routine. Like, you know, we make fun of the girls and we leave the car. <laughs> and then we walk across and we, like, talk. And we take the long path around. And, like, all of it is about five minutes. But it's amazing five minutes, right? So that's really important for me. Uh, and then, you know, I try to get my workouts in first. You know, I realize I've spent 25 years making money as my primary focus and Awesome. Lost some, made some, all sorts of good stuff. Um, but I've suffered a lot of health issues. I almost mm-hmm. you know, was diagnosed with cancer and all wow. sorts of stuff because of the habits we create, right? But I can't fault it because my habits were developed around making money. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I've realized 
I can't focus on making money the way I was and also care about health. So then I reverse engineer now to go, nothing happens until I get a workout in. Even if it's 20 minutes at the treadmill or an hour and a half at the gym, until I'm physically good, the world doesn't get a piece of me. I have a... Wow. You want to go ahead on No, no, one? you go. Go ahead. Well, My mind is spinning Because right both of you have uh, some years on me. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, I just want to say... grain the beard? <laughs> I just want to get it from your, uh, your guys' opinion, because both of you have definitely told me that physical health is like, you cannot overlook that. I mean, both of you have gone through issues that I haven't. But going back to talk to the viewers my age, would you ever suggest making it a goal to prioritize any sort of business outcome over personal health? Or is personal health that one variable that does not change physical fitness or is there any rationale before for leaving in the That's background question so let me use a different analogy right because your mm. young people probably are into cars more than i am at my age let's assume you're into cars okay imagine knowing you get one car in your life okay mm -hmm. and you're gonna beat the shit out of it every single day without caring for it and you need the car. You need to get to school. You need to get to work. You need to go on a date. You need to go groceries. So it's not like you can't use the car. But you have to use it so much where you don't take care of it, right? So for me, my body is the same. At the end of the day, all of the greatest things I can do in life, I can only do because I'm able to do it in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I don't start the day consciously saying, hey, how do I protect my mind and my body? Because when it's at its best, everything I touch, everybody I experience, everything I want to do is a really good chance of success. But it all starts with me first, which is a very new mindset for me. Because in the past, it was like, get up, and the world gets me first. Mm -hmm. Emails, clients, staff, I'll be the first one there, I'll skip lunch. Because it was a different focus. But I realized, also, all those skins leave you. Clients can leave me. My best staff can move on. I won't make the money. I'll make a lot of money. But I get this body, and that's it, man. When this thing breaks down, I don't care how rich I am. Mm -hmm. We're fucked. You know? And when I had that cancer scare, because I've always told myself, as long as I can work, I will work. Right? So even if I'm not feeling like I'm getting up today, I'll still lie in bed, work away. Mm -hmm. But when I had that cancer scare and the operation didn't go well and all this stuff, it was the first time where I had no choice and I cannot work. Like, I couldn't work because I was drugged up and da-da-da. And it was, an, it was a weird feeling to go, okay, if I cannot work anymore and this body fails, what kind of life would I live? Wow. And that's when I was like, boom, none of this shit matters. It's good, but it's not as important as this body that I have for whatever years that I have. And so I fundamentally shifted it. And funny enough, you know, the last 12 months, I've made more money with this new focus mm -hmm. than I did in my last 20 years. Incredible. I would have never imagined I can say it out loud because I know the effort <laughs> right. I put into building my yeah. businesses. On paper, I made more money in 2018 for myself than I did in the last 12 years. And that's because you activated the Pareto yeah. Principle, which is the 20% that you showed up for, you were operating at 100%. Yeah, exactly, because mm -hmm. you're clearer, you make better decisions, you make the right decisions. You make right? rational, not because I find when you're too... Um, Reactive. Like, exact, yeah. Exactly, the words yeah. out of my mouth. Um, and I find it's easy to get into this confirmation bias mindset where it's like, 
oh, it's, it's, it's going to pay off in the long term. It's going to pay off in the long term. It's going to pay off in the long term. Like, hustle, and hustle, you see hustle. a small little glimpse, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is it. This is momentum, but it's not momentum. It's you're a little cha- blip. We talked about this at, sorry, in my event where uh, so many people, when you are extrinsically focused, let's say, on money or, like, very external values, um, you forget the in-betweenness, you know? Like, the the... You're the sum of all the little victories. Your big victories are some of your small victories. When you get too externally focused, you put all the weight on that one big victory, and suddenly all these small victories, they they hold less merit in your brain, and you just start becoming this negative mindset because all these small victories don't make you happy. Only big ones do. But when you become happy with the small ones... Even to to sort of challenge that a little bit, we don't know what's small and what's big. Mm. You know? Relative. Like, we don't, right? Like, you know, I had one brief conversation with my uncle in India. And I've never really spoken to him before then. I went to, you know, put my dad's ashes in India or whatever. And I remember hanging out and I'm like, I don't know anybody in my history. Was I adopted? Like, why am I like this? Like, I got a thousand ideas. I don't know how to make decisions. I remember he looked at me, man, old dude, like just old school. <laughs> and he was like, Tish, the reality is none of us get two days. We all get one day. And every decision is just a decision. We do not have the mental capacity to understand what's a big decision, what's a good decision, what's a bad. So all you could do in life is take care of yourself and give you the chance to make the best decision possible every time. I love that, man. And that reminds me of another quote that I heard from one of my mentors that he said, you can't always make the right decision, but you can make decisions and then make them right. That's mm, and so yeah. my whole life, I've just been making bad decision after bad decision, but with much more precision as I get older and wiser. One of the best decisions I ever made recently was prioritizing my health. Like today I had a shitty workout. I went in there, I phoned it in, I'm not gonna lie. I climbed the treadmill for 15 minutes, I did a few flimsy weights, but for me, it was less about the physical and more about the mental. I knew that I had to show yeah. up and do this and that tomorrow I could wake up again, feel better about it and do it. That's and it. so the gym never moves in my calendar and you guys have non-negotiables in yours. What are some other things in your calendar that don't move for anyone no matter what? Uh, dinner with family. Dinner with family. Because every me. night? Yeah. So, you know, as often as I can, unless it's something like this, you know, I don't miss it. Um, and and also just alone time. You know, I've I've... Uh, undervalued alone time for for most of my career because I'm always surrounded by people. I give energy out, right? And so it's only, you know, the last five, six years where I realized, okay, having alone time to do nothing, sit and read, daydream, just watch (laughs) an hour of YouTube for no reason. It's important. Guilt-free fun, yeah. Right? Just, Mm -hmm. Just to let it go. And so I try to find at least 20 to 30 minutes every day to just zoned out, you know. And I couldn't do it. So one of the things I did was got rid of my car. So I only Uber now because yeah. I know <laughs> that 20 yeah. Uber drive, Uber, I got no distractions. I turn my phone off. I yeah. just stare. I engage in a conversation. You can't wait for those Tesla self-driving cars, eh? Hey, right. man. I, I, I don't want that either. I want somebody to drive so I know it's cool and I can have a conversation <laughs> and just chill. I love that, man. I've been thinking about like the community that listens to this podcast. I'm like, who, how, how do we personify this community? Like, Who listens to this? Yeah. And I know a few people, like a majority of the people I don't actually know who listen to this. I look at the stats, I'm like, I don't even know that many people. Mm-hmm. But the few that I do know, I would describe them as like vigilantes, as bandits, as robbers, as thieves. Mm-hmm. And what they're stealing is they're stealing back their time. They're yeah. stealing back the energy. They're stealing back the attention. You know, they gave people energy. They gave people time. They gave people their attention. Never got any of it back. And so I love that you've harped on this idea of 
switching over to an Uber so you can get that time back that you lost. Like what a simple switch you can make with enough permission space in your life to get that time yeah, back and it's that you were losing because you were listening to what? What the fuck were you you're listening to? Roz and Mocha in the morning. How much can you listen to Roz and Mocha? In the morning, <laughs> man? And and it's stress. Like I think we underestimate the amount of stress you go through just driving for 20 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you eliminate that, and financially it's affordable now. Yeah. Like, it's actually cheaper to take Uber than own a car, unless you're doing a lot of big travels or whatever. Sure. But mm-hmm. 90% of us get You don't worry about maintenance or gas or parking or any of that, oh, man. So it's bring, fantastic. So getting time back has been a big focus for me. And so, you know, if I could segment my, my sort of hours into three big chunks, is like my health, my family, and then in the middle is yeah. whatever I think mm-hmm. I want to accomplish. And so those are your heat maps, right? Right. Okay. So oh, okay. some days is money focused. Yeah. Some days is personal growth focused. So I'm working on my my book and all sorts of fun stuff. And then some days is just me mentoring and giving. Like I spent two days at the zone, just reacting to other people's needs. And it's and I got talking to schmucks like me. <laughs> so so speaking of schmucks like JB, right? When this guy enters your life. You're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on in your life. How do you decide that Justin's now going to be a priority, that we're going to engage in mentorship? What kind of tools do you use to organize your time? Like, how do you, where, where does the visualization of Satish's time mm. exist right now? So right now, when I look at my seven days, uh, at least two of those days are dedicated to just serving, right? What, what do you mean what, by that? What, yeah. what I mean is, right now, uh, I, I'm at the zone nine to five for two days. Ryerson Science. Right, yeah. Science Discovery Zone. And I know anybody who wants to, talk to me, get some mentoring, get some help, mm-hmm. they know I'm in the building from nine to five. Wow. And I have nothing to do on those days. I don't book any of the meetings. Justin's not in between my other stuff. My whole day is cleared. And if nobody shows up, that's cool. Yeah. If 20 of them Still get show, the bag, man. Right? <laughs> End of the day. Uh, so that that's that's me sort of going, these two days are just giving. Yeah. And then I've got days where you know I've invested in some companies, so I got to play a role in it. There's Daisy Fest, and so you know I've got at least two to three hours every day where that's my productive time. I feel like I'm accomplishing a goal because when you're spending time with family, it's not really a uh, you're you're not on a goal to accomplish something. You're just being present, right? So I can't really uh, measure that beyond just being there and hanging out with the kids and my wife. Gotcha. Health is you know I'm 44. I, you know I'm not you know, on a mission to get a six pack and I'm not entering <laughs> UFC next month. I, I just want the routine of thinking about me first in the mornings. And like you, some days it's it's in 20 minutes on the treadmill and I'm out. Yeah. But I like the fact that even on those days, I put myself first. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. all it is for me. The gym is not, I hate the gym, to be honest. I hate everything about the gym. <laughs> I can't I don't relate understand why anybody wants to lift weights. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't want it. But it's the only thing I know will give me the dis- discipline to put me first. Amen. And that's, that's, that brings us to the second part of this, which is about energy. And so, uh, you know, this next question has, has, I think about this a lot because the older I get, the more sleep I need. It's kind of weird. Like there was this pace in my life, place in my life where I'm a baby and I'm sleeping all the time. Then I become a young teenager and a young adult and I sleep less and less and less. And now I'm transitioning into my 30s. And I'm finding that if I don't get a nice seven to eight hours, it's a wrap. The, the, the oh. day is a total waste. So at 44, man, how many hours of sleep do you need each night? Help us prepare for when uh, we reach your youthful age. I, I can't do more than four hours. More than four? four? Yeah, my mind four. Too. What yeah. are you yeah. talking about, five. man? I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, a second. You yeah, get four I, hours of sleep a night? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, when I first sold the company, my whole thing was like, yeah, I get to sleep and da-da-da. Mm-hmm. I can't, man. My Physically my, can't sleep? Like, I, I just... What I've realized is... Uh, you have sleep apnea? What, what's going I, on? I know how to relax. I just don't know how to fall asleep. So 
uh, when I went through all the testing and this and that, they're like, oh, yeah, you just have to do meditation and this and that to fall asleep. I don't have any problems relaxing. I just don't know how to fall asleep until I'm extremely tired. Oh. And it's a weird thing because from 18, I've put in 18-hour days willingly. Because you were working the clubs. You were DJing. You were promoting as well. And so my first company was here. Your right? circadian was, rhythm was thrown off, kind of right? like Kareem, who doesn't sleep at all as well. Yeah. So for me, um, and it wasn't like, oh, I hate what I'm doing. I wish I could sleep. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. So I stayed up as late as I can. So I can wake up as early as possible because it was on a fucking mission. Like mm-hmm. I knew what I was gonna do. Yeah. So I'm like, why? Why am I wasting time sleeping? You know what I mean? Um, so for the four and five hours that you do get, like, how do you make the most of that? Like, what kind of things do you put in place? Like, how do you tire yourself out? Do you have any pre-sleep rituals that help you get a quality four uh, five? I started to read, uh, and I used to listen to a lot of podcasts, but I realized reading makes me more tired. Uh, I also hate the act of reading because I just want to consume content and go. Yeah. So it slows me down a little, which yeah. is great. Uh, and then I listen to music. I'm back to like, you know, just my classical tumble music stuff, things that just like mellow you down. For sure, man. And then no matter what, man, like around 2, 2 o'clock is when my body eventually shuts down. And then by 6.30-ish, 7, I'm like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Even if I have nothing in my calendar, I'm like, let's go, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. which is great because I'm up, the kids are up, whatever, right? Are you, uh, uh, you an extrovert? Uh, I don't know. I don't know because I know I, I have both. If so, you had to guess, what is he? I think I'm a, a selective extrovert. extrovert. What do you mean? So a selective extrovert. So he switches between? Like most he, of the time he's an extrovert. When you, when you get him going... He's an extrovert, and when he's in his element, for sure. You know, but I, you don't have to be the center of attention. That's what I'm saying. When you need to be, you are, but you don't have to be. That's what I got. Yeah, I, I, I battled with it because, I've, you know, first 15 years of my life, uh, I was trained to be an introvert. Yes, same. So yeah. uh, I spent the rest of my life saying, well, what would be the opposite look like? And then I've taken steps through method and, like, self-hacking to yeah. figure out a new version. So I don't know which, you know, sometimes I naturally just get into an introvert mode if I feel overwhelmed, yeah. right? Um, if I'm, if I'm, you know, a speaker in a panel with like super speakers, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, see, I'm the little kid in the corner. Uh, and then I can rock the crowd at Daisy Fest, hands down, uh-huh. 150,000 people. I don't care. Yeah, you had me fooled in 2008, man. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know. So I, I think uh, it's less about introvert or extrovert. It's what version of me is the best for that situation. I want to touch upon yeah, that please. point quickly. Sorry, because this, yeah, if all the Fire wisdom you shone upon me. I think the one that it took a while to click. But um, coming on to the topic of mentorship, if we're going to brush upon that quickly, is it's funny because I'm a mechatronics engineering student. Why am I surrounded by marketer, marketer, slash web developer, slash music host, slash, (laughs) slash, 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 serial entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's because you've taught me the, the value of being able so a lot of people set goals of what to do, but sometimes the current version of yourself is not able to do that. So in your current function of your mind frame right now, I am not able to do, let's say, get four hours of sleep tonight. But you you don't set the goal saying, I'm going to get four hours of sleep tonight or I'm going to make a million dollars. You say, I'm going to become the version of myself who making a million dollars is easy. You know, I'm going to become the version of myself, self-hacking, personal development, whatever floats your boat. But we're talking about that is become the version of yourself that can do these things. Don't do these things as a current version of yourself. 
And then it comes into a meta game where it's like, well, if you've got to become the version of yourself that achieves these goals, then the best mind frame to have is become the version of yourself, wait for it, that is good at becoming those other versions of yourself, if we can oh, follow that, yeah. right? Uh, but I know, I know, it's a rabbit hole of abstraction. Yeah, versions of yourself, yeah. man. That is I one thing I've... Makes yeah, sense. yeah, it makes no, sense. no, it, it does make sense. But that's the, the thing about my, my take on mentorship. It's not about them telling you what to do. It's about them teaching you how to become the person that can get these things done. Yeah, yeah. And them teaching you how to understand what things to get done. This is so crazy, man. Yeah. Because like I'm looking at Satish right now. This is the first time we've ever actually ever actually talked. Like yeah. we were talking for the first time on a podcast. And I remember when I was coming up and I was looking around me and seeing who it is that I could model myself after. There was a lot of people, man. I'll give them credit right now. There was Bhupesh Shah, there was another Satish, Satish Gunwar, there was Dave Basu, uh, there was Divyan Salvadurai, and there was um uh, Rohit Bhargava. What's interesting though is like they were all inspirational to me, but they had different walks of life. Like, you know, they, they, they were working on different things. When I think about congruence with alignment in terms of who I am, the work that I do, the attitudes that I have, background, almost similar relationships with our, with our fathers, we got yeah, daddy yeah, issues. Yeah. I look at you and I'm like, this is so weird that like in 10 years, in 15 years, I'm going to become you. Man. And it's crazy because you're doing this right now and I'm looking at you from across the table thinking to myself, oh man, life's going to be great, buddy. Like, yeah. don't stress out right now. If, if Sadish can do it, you can do it too, man. Just follow the blueprint. And I think it's so amazing that you're so generous with your time and your wisdom right now, you know, sharing it with us, sharing it with the Ryerson Science Zone over there, sharing it with him on a regular basis. I hope that we'll connect after this as well. well I mean, this is yeah, this is incredible, yeah. man. Uh, bringing it back to the last piece of this performance point segment, let's talk about attention a little bit. Yeah. When it comes to notifications on your phone, man, you talked about waking up and once upon a time it was email and yeah, social yeah. media and everything and the world, the world has Satish. How do you now decide with all the multiple priorities you have going on, what's urgent and what's important? Um, so for me, uh, the work that I do, I'm very selective with the people now because I have a chance to now uh, choose the kind of work I want to do, right? In in some ways, in the partners and et cetera. Uh, and so... A, finding the right partners who depend on me for a certain skill, but I'm not the one driving the ship. You know, I, I have no real interest in being the CEO and being the face and all this yeah, stuff anymore. Because yeah. I want to play a supporting role. I, I want to be the point guard passing you the ball. You be the center. You <laughs> Mark be the, the soul. Right? I'm good. Like, yeah. it's cool. Um, and so, you know, finding the right partners allows me to get the breathing room to be effective but not drive the ship. When I'm not driving it, I don't need to be involved in everything. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. my partners, you know, they give me great freedom to be who I am. Uh, when it comes to my music stuff, I've now realized how to balance because, you know, uh, we get anywhere between two to 300 auditions every year. Wow. And we can only have 23 people on, on spreadsheet. So I've been lucky enough to build out a team now that helps sort of filter through some of this stuff so that I get to, you know, look at, you know, our options versus being the guy looking at everything. And I think, you know, mainly giving up the idea that I am the center of the world helped. Because for the last 20 years, it's been like, I'm in the middle and everything is connected mm -hmm. to me. And if I wasn't on, I'm like, I'm not that important in yeah, the scale of, of the universe. I play a role. Yeah. And that role can either benefit me only or me and a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm cool with it. So, you know, like Instagram, for example, I don't have notifications turned on. So mm -hmm. unless I go in and look at what's going on, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Twitter, I don't turn notifications on Facebook. So anything that is 
something I don't need to be on anymore. I have it, but I don't check it. Even my emails, I've turned notifications on. So unless yeah. I want to check it, because I realize if it's that urgent, you'll call me. If it's not that urgent, I'll catch up. I read an article today. I think it was from Ryan Holiday who said that um, we're gonna th- we're gonna look ten to fifteen years from now. We're gonna look back at thirteen year old kids holding a cell phone oh, the way that we look at thirteen year old kids smoking a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, it's gonna be a real problem, man. Like I'm seeing the the signs are everywhere. There's no no shortage of signs around us that it's causing all kinds of problems. And if it's causing problems for us, like those of us who are further along in our understanding <laughs> of ourselves, and we have like a we, we we have the situational awareness to know when it's affecting our relationships and whatnot. Yeah. What is it doing to somebody who's going through the formative stages of their life mm-hmm. who yeah. can't can't actually distinguish between is this harming me or is this not? It just is for yeah. them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then the scary part is if this is a global thing, then is this the new thing? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I used to rock three pagers back in the day, right? Like three pagers? Oceans and clubs and all this <laughs> Damn, stuff. Bro. And I was like, yeah, I got three pagers and I got the smartphone. And, you know, but my generation, we liked this tech, but we knew how to shut it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, if, if you're my daughter at 11 and my son at five, you embrace it differently because you connect differently, right? Some of my co-founders are, you know, 23, 25 on some of the new ventures, and they do not like to call people. It's yeah, a text, text yeah. wait for the check sign that is delivered. Scene. And then, you yeah. know, because they're like, what do I have to call? I know he read it. <laughs> I'm like, well, mm-hmm. just call, oh. you know. And so I think people will always find a way to integrate tech into the normal day that makes their life and their situation at that mm-hmm. time. You know, if we if we try to future forecast, we can't understand it enough to appreciate it. Right. But if yeah. that is a norm for my kids to have a phone and a chip in their head and <laughs> connected in a digital world, because that's their world. Yeah. I'm too old to figure that out, man. I, I'm still waiting for the self-lacing boots. I <laughs> promise oh, back to the future. Yo, we got to get a picture of the Anta, <laughs> yeah. Clay Thompson Antas after. This guy walked well, in I want, so fresh, man. Sorry about that. I want to say a point on the, the social media thing. I think I, I interpreted your question a bit differently. Okay. And a lot of my opinions on this social media came from your book, uh, Bernal Gamble, for anyone who hasn't read it. And uh, Bailey, I know you're really close with her, uh, her uh, TED Talk on social media. And it's just this fact that I think for the kids, formative stage, like I even saw when I was in high school, the students, maybe two, three years younger than me, how much their life revolved around their acceptance online more than in person. It's like you were valued by your Instagram followers, your ratio, how many likes you get, you know, like that your self-worth was digital. It's not in person. That's what like, you know. And uh, I, yeah, but especially in the formative stages, like I'm kind of blessed that social media kind of came in when I was in my early mid-teens, but I can't even imagine that, like, eight, No, but I ten, think in like, our days, it's, it's, it wasn't a digital social media, but, we, you know, like, getting into the basketball club gave yeah. me a certain mm. clout. The, the dynamics of the city person. Right? right? Like, yeah, you fair. know, when I was DJing, for example, you know, if you weren't on my guest list, it was a different experience than if you waited in line. I sure. think as society, we always find these ways to create these smaller tribes, mm. right? Uh and I think there's a healthy way to do it, and there's an addictive, destructive way to do it. Unknown. And you know, I laugh when I see young people dropping a thousand bucks on bottles nowadays. <laughs> what are you? You doing? know, yeah. that is destructive, right? Um, or their so entire paycheck on a Gucci belt. Right yeah. <laughs> He's no. like, yeah, no. Chris bottle yeah. sender, yeah. check so, picker yeah, up. So I, I think it's it's relative, and we got to take it in context to the time period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn, bro. Uh, right before we got, we got on air, we talked about operating from a place of anger. And you talked about how for a large part of your career, you were an angry guy. 
competitive, cutthroat. I mean, you were out for blood. Now you seem to be way calmer. Like I can't even picture what that version of Satish looked Ooh. like. I would be very scared <laughs> of that version of Satish, man. Like you seem to have found bliss, man. I'm so happy for you right now. How do you now deal with the chatter and the criticism of other people who don't have your best interest? Like how do you, how do you, how do you drown out or harness that noise and stay you focused know, on the path? It's a, it's a very sort of cliche answer, but um, uh, the year that I found out I had cancer was the year I started this project to just vlog every day. And it was really just to get, you know, sort of uh, my life captured and I, you know, I wanted to be a YouTube star, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but what I didn't realize was that it was a year where I was gonna document some of my most intimate moments at the doctor knowing I got a tumor and all this stuff. And my wife shot the, the episode where like, I'm on the, on the bed in the hospital and I just signed a release saying they're gonna put me under, but there's a chance that I might not wake up again. What? And I remember, like she God had a camera damn. and I was saying like peace out to myself Whoa. knowing I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to do a vlog tomorrow. And you have kids at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Right? So I was like, man, like I'm saying peace out to myself. I know there's a 1% chance that I might not wake up, but it's still a 1% chance yeah, man. Yeah. that I had to sign for on a government document that said, hey, if I die, I can't, you can't know. Can't sue the government. Mm -hmm. So since then... Nothing's really bothered me, man, because all the stuff is just stuff. I made it a point to accumulate it. Yeah, man. I make it a point to pick battles and, you know, so I could choose to be happy. I could choose to ignore. I could choose to say I can convert your love to, you know, uh, uh, action. I can convert your hate to love. Like, it's it's just all within us. We just had to get to a, a place where we can comfortably say none of this matters and if if we can truly treat people the way we want to be treated then that's a real legacy we can leave behind it's remarkable how clarifying and almost purifying the prospect of death is yeah and it's around us all the time i mean i was raised muslim and we would have to confront death every single day in our prayers like it was part of the ritual mm -hmm. of the prayer where you would say things in arabic that would remind yourself that you're mortal all the time and i was too young to appreciate it back then but now when i think about it now when i pray i'm like oh that's super interesting yeah. that i woke up today feeling like goddamn superman but now I, remember, I remind myself that I'm just a, yeah, yeah. A, like a, a, mm -hmm. a bag of flesh and, and blood, man. That's all I really know. Well, it's funny, man. Like, brittle you know, bone. I, I think I started earlier by saying I didn't really know my dad because we've been fighting for yeah. a long, long time. And I remember we passed away. My brother and my sister were like, well, we need to organize a funeral and all this stuff. And I didn't really know much about him. And we went and they had the big room, but not the small room. We wanted the small room. There were like maybe 20, 30 people come out. And he's like, well, I'll give you the big room for the small the small room price. And the day happened at the funeral, the viewing, where even the big room wasn't big enough. Like, there was hundreds of people there. And 90% of them I've never seen. Wow. But they all had a personal story of how he's helped them, what he's done to impact them, immigrants, where he loaned them money, all the stuff that we've never had exposure to. Mm -hmm. And I think I decided at that moment where, whether it's Daisy Fest, Blue Band, all this stuff, those are things that represent me, but they're not me. And one day when it's not my time to go, I want my kids in a room where everybody that's in there is like, your dad was a great guy for this. 
not because wow. I was a CEO mm-hmm. or I was a host or an MC, but I genuinely just happened to be in a position to help as many people as I can before it's my time Jeez, to go. Jeez, the goal so. isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. And brother, you've created something, many things that will live on long after you've gone. I mean, are you scared by the prospect that you might be looking up from heaven, seeing Daisy Fest 87? Hey. You know? It's going to happen. This, they're yeah. going to carry on the tradition. It's not going to stop after 13, bro. No, my wife says she'll put a little statue on the on the square. Hey. <laughs> it's not a big one, but like a little 3D one. <laughs> so I will have a statue at the square. But hey, man, like, you know, it's a blessing. You know, every year I'm reminded of my beginnings. And, you know, uh, it's it's uh, the anger was important. Yes. But uh, a few important things happened that allowed the anger to, to dissipate. And I was able to fill that space with purpose. And I think, you know, meeting Justin and not hanging out with you guys and sharing this story, mm-hmm. uh, all of it has a bigger purpose that I don't know yet. But I'm just mm-hmm. making a decision wow. to share. And then I'll make another decision and then we'll just go until it's yeah. my time. Brother, I, uh, wow, I, my mind is racing, man. I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm blanking here on questions, man. Well, the thing, uh, what you said about, for those of us who haven't experienced a deathbed, uh, sometimes I... It's easy to take things as words, but it's hard to internalize them and really assimilate them and truly appreciate them. Um, like as you're saying, when you're on your deathbed-ish, okay, when you're signing your release paper that says you might be on your deathbed, that overwhelming feeling of acceptance is probably a big factor in what changed your outlook on your life, right? But because uh, I know you have, uh, sorry, you have uh, an article that says if you want to start giving a better perspective on your life, write your eulogy. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a, I did it. It was an amazing exercise because it really puts into perspective what's important, right? Um, so is that something else you'd recommend? So like, how do you recommend those of us who haven't gone through those experiences? Should we be chasing experiences that kind of put us on the edge a bit? I'm not saying necessarily adrenaline junkies, putting ourselves yeah. there out there more, or think, like, like... How do we yeah. be mindful of the end? Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think, you know, don't think about it from the end game. Mm-hmm. You know, the generation that you guys have have immense opportunities and possibilities. And I think you don't appreciate that as much, right? So I challenge all the young people that would listen to this to say, start with the simple question of, you know, why am I doing the things I'm doing? And a lot of us can't answer that question. Something as simple as like, why do you want to be an engineer? Why do you want to be a singer? Why do you want to do anything? And if you can purposefully architect your business, Mm-hmm. That is already a win because you don't need to experience, you know, quote unquote, death to figure shit mm-hmm. out. You're not being taught to ask the right questions to set you up. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. I don't want anybody to ever have to say, hey, you know, what if I don't wake up again? But mm-hmm. I do want everybody to start the day off with why am I doing the things I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And if what I'm doing is not making me happy or it's on a purposeful journey, stop right away like send an email to quit don't show up at that job like do whatever it takes because the time that you have becomes much longer when you're working on purpose so don't worry about the death stuff man that's like this happened to be my world but you as a young person start every day with hey man you know i always tell everybody that i meet the most honest moments you have is when you're brushing your teeth because it's you in a mirror no bullshit, no internet, mm-hmm. no fancy stories that we externalize, right? That's it. It's just you. It's that tube of Colgate, man. And it's <laughs> a toothbrush, man. Uh, you know? Oral so B. if in those 
two minutes and you got to brush your teeth for two minutes at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could be honest with yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and go, hey, I'm at the best place I want to be or I'm on the way to the best place I want to be. Mm -hmm. Great. If it's not one of those two, stop and do something about it. Damn. It's goodness. funny. The the whole mirror wow. stuff. This just episode is not sponsored by Colgate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. That whole. Team Crest out here. Oh, Marcus Shea, that was a person. That whole physically looking at yourself in the mirror as a, a focal point in a sense of your mindfulness of your own personal journey. It's come up in a lot of different things. Like this one guy I know, this guy Marcus Ray, shout out, met him on the weekend in Montreal. Amazing speaker. He says some of his clients that he helps personally develop. One of the main things, every morning they start the mirror, they look themselves in the face and they say, you're going to crush it today or you're going to do it today. That looking at yourself externally, was, uh, I remember at one point I hit in my life when I was, I kind of had my head, head to the grindstone, uh, was kind of absorbed into my work. And you just don't notice it passively, but you don't, every time I passed the mirror, I wasn't really looking at myself, you know, I was looking at my reflection. And then uh, when I kind of started, you know, meeting people like you guys who really helped me see the world in a better light and putting myself before my external goals, one day I just walked by the mirror, I looked and I smiled. I'm like, man, I do not remember the last time I looked in the mirror and I smiled. It's usually just kind of like a, a glass, uh, you look bad, you know, but- I'm not good enough or whatever. Yeah, I'm not good enough, exactly, but- that is almost like a physical manifestation of your mental state by looking yourself in the mirror and smiling. It's uh -huh. like, I love myself. You know, I like that guy in the mirror. That guy in the mirror is going to crush it, you know? Yeah. And it's funny how the, I've heard that whole mirror thing come up on different Powerful people. Moment. Yeah. I mean, people talk about social media as this fake world, right? Okay, let's agree that it's a fake world. Well, then how do you connect with the real world? Because mm -hmm. from the day you're born, you're being fed something. You know, I look at my little kids and I'm like, yeah, at four, I'm telling my son what his world is supposed to be like. At 10 or 11, I'm trying to manipulate what my daughter's world is supposed to be like. And yes, I am manipulating because I know what every, you know, father thinks about when you have a daughter, you know. And for the better part of my career, I was always a challenger, meaning, you know, when I ran my, my agency, I was the only brown CEO in a you know, Caucasian-dominated world. Yeah, pioneer in many ways. Right? Mm -hmm. Let alone the fact that I was a computer scientist without any creative background. But I, I knew I was a storyteller, but I didn't realize it's possible to get paid to do it. And so you tell yourself the story of who you are before you're that person, right? I am this guy. I'm loud, and I'm an extrovert, and I can crush it, and I'm a creative director. I don't believe it yet. But I tell my that shit mm -hmm. over and over and over for those two minutes every single day to give me that confidence to go into a boardroom and pitch Cadillac Fairview and win 23 properties yeah. out of nowhere. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But then at some point, you go, well, what's the real story? Yeah. You got to give back to zero, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if you could start with that place of zero from day one at 20, at 19, at 18, imagine that version. Versus the version I had to do, which is I had a version that I didn't like. And I had to spend most of my time, probably like you, reconstructing that version. That mm -hmm. was more exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's funny you mentioned Cadillac Fairview because I had the pleasure of sitting down with uh, Blake Hutchinson. Very, very interesting man. But uh, he said the same thing in a different way where it's imagining yourself in that position. Like he accredits a lot of his success to his affirmations. Like he used to be uh, a high-level skier. And he said... The first time he really learned about those affirmation type things or visualization, um, what was it? What's that word? You uh, crap! You there's a word for it that we always crap. I'll, I'll think about it later. But he would stand on the podium 
close his eyes, pretend to put the gold medal around his neck, and imagine that feeling of winning, you know? Yeah, and it became real. That feeling became, as I said, getting, setting an end goal. If you don't know what the feeling of winning is like, how are you going to win? He said the same thing. The houses he wanted. I mean, he has the luxury of being able to afford very nice houses. But he said he would look at that house like, that's the house I want. I'm going to be in that house. Yeah. You know? So it's a very powerful tool, yeah, and these unfortunately, affirmations. These are all the things they don't teach us in school. Yeah. Mm. Right. And that's why, you know, my, my personal sort of pet peeve and why I got involved with Ryerson and sort of coming back here is I think there's an opportunity to sort of instill some of these new thinking podcasts like this, Big you know, time. the zones and, you know, you guys tweeting and talking and sharing this kind of stuff. It's important. For sure. Events like mindset. Hey. <laughs> the version has to change. Yeah. It's a, like that book that that was a game changer for me. One of many game changers, but think and grow rich. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I could be rich until I read that book. I just thought like, hey, this is destiny, man. You're going to make $35,000 a year. Call it a day. Things are great. And then I'm like, whoa, hold on. Like, I'm holding myself back? What are you talking mm -hmm. about here? Then I started imagining myself getting rich, and then it started happening in the same way that you oh, described, yeah. right? Uh, which brings us to this next round that we have over here. And we'll close off the podcast with this. This has been so much fun, man. This is a brand new segment that we've pioneered and we've created just for you, my friend. Okay. So we're going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. Ooh. Don't spend a lot of time thinking about them. Whatever comes to mind, the first answer, okay. blurt it out. Okay. And if you give an offensive answer, we can go back and edit it, no problem. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I have here for you 12 questions, and let's see what happens. I have no idea if this is going to work, if it's not going to okay, work, man. but I think I think you're going to rock it. Let's shoot. Ready to go? Okay. Okay. Hakka food or Jamaican food? Jamaican food. Okay. The last book you read? Can't Hurt Me. By David Goggins. David Goggins. Oh, oh I want to read that so bad. So yeah. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Three podcasts you regularly listen to. Ooh, uh, Tony Robbins, nice. Gary V, uh, and then the guy from um, Charlemagne. Two idiots, something. Brilliant idiots. Yeah, brilliant. Shout idiots. out to brilliant yeah. idiots. Yeah. Uh, favorite rap album of all time. Jay Z. Uh, oh, my fans are gonna hate this. Black <laughs> album is my favorite. Ooh, interesting yeah. choice. Okay. Uh, best beef patty, Kennedy Station or Warden Station? Ooh, Warden Station, hands down. Okay. Scar, <laughs> bro. Hey. What's a game-changing book that everyone should read? Uh, Alchemist. Mm. The Alchemist. Wow. Yeah, it's a game-changer. Can't pronounce his name. Pa uh, I, Paolo can't, I can't pronounce his name. I oh. just follow Quello. Yeah. Uh, favorite rapper, dead or alive? Ooh, Jay Z. <laughs> favorite lyricist, dead or alive? Nas. Ooh, okay. An app that you can't live without? Ooh, uh, app that I can't live without. YouTube. Okay. Oh. Your favorite Daisy Fest performer ever. Layla B. Interesting. Okay. She's my daughter. <laughs> Politically say, correct. It's like, yeah. <laughs> How do you get the party started? Reggae, soca, or dance hall? Dance hall. Mm. Satish, you've bestowed the listeners and, and all three of us in this room right now with riches upon riches. I mean, we're so grateful for this. You've given us invaluable wisdom and insights. And to wrap things up, I want to turn the spotlight back on you and ask you what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Because I have no doubt that the three of us in this room, are I've heard things from you. I know I've written down some things over here that I'm like, wow, that is some of the best advice I've ever received. What's the best advice that you have ever received? Mm, the best advice um, was from a lady named Carol. And I was at a small little gig trying to figure out if I should start my own company or not. And the guys that were uh, hired me to said, if you leave us, you're never going to be successful. And I was tormented. And I remember talking to her and I was in tears because I didn't want to like not have the job, but I also didn't want to stay there because again, you know, what if I stay there and I hate myself? And, and she just looked at me and said, just jump. 
<laughs> what do you got to jump? Just do it. What do you got to lose? Yeah. Just jump and figure it out. And I was like, okay, I'll jump and I'll figure it out. And I've been jumping and figuring things out, man. Ever since. Yeah. Brother, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And what's next for you? Where? What What? What, what are the adventures that uh, the, the listeners and the viewers can follow along for the next couple of years as they subscribe to you online? Uh, I'm working on my first book. Okay. Uh, can you I've share always, some deets? Well, similar to this, World you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really interested in just sharing some of this, you know, stories that we talked about. Uh, I think there's a generation of young people that uh, are getting an academic introduction to life, and I think they need more real stories, um, that real references, and, and I've got some, some good ones to share. Uh, I'm investing in, in smaller companies and, and helping founders yeah. uh, excel. Uh, I'm just trying to be happy, man. You know, I've uh, I've found a nice groove in life um, where I could work hard and play hard for the first time. Uh, I want to be an incredible father, and I'm focused on that. Um, and and you know, I'm I've fully reconnected and like enjoy being a husband now, and not just a guy who comes home like we have date nights and stuff. It's crazy. Uh, and so I think you know, I'm, I'm I finally got some good balance, um, but it took a very interesting road to get here and I'm thankful that you know in my 40s I'm able to take the foot off the gas a little bit and and you know not a lot of people have that luxury but you know I paid the price for it um and so yeah I'm, I'm uh, just sharing now That's every amazing. you know if you follow me online or if you want to start following me online just get ready for you know doses of inspiration oh this is exciting I can't wait and where can people follow you online and, and what, what's your handle Instagram has been my go-to choice okay. uh so sats s-a-t-s dot b uh, great content yeah, on there guys that on the show really good yeah and I have a website by satish.com uh, as great a web blog. developer as you said <laughs> I built my own website uh, DC Fest is coming up so we're really excited for our 13th year and uh, we're, we're hoping to add more value and so you know for the next 8 to 10 years uh, I just want to focus on just giving and, and see see what happens and then eventually I think I'll I'll find a new obsessive project or work or client or something that'll get me back into that mode but uh, for now I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the, uh, the the difference in lifestyle all right Satish Bala and Justin Venturo JV this was a blast we'll do this thank you guys for having me and the gifts Scarborough hey, enjoy <laughs> that man looking forward to seeing that on the, on, on the gram as yes, well yes sir all right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We're out.